there is something about the lyrics to the theme tune of Cheers that seems particularly applicable to my guest today. For those who are too young to know them, it goes something like this, and I am not singing. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Greg Almeida knew he wanted his new bar to be in West London. I'm just lucky it was down the street from me. Throughout this insanely stressful year, public has been mine and a whole load of other people's cheers. Greg and his team have created a place where the neighborhood flocks to. That takes a lot of work, even when there isn't a global pandemic. Find out why and how he is the perfect person at the right moment to fill that void when we needed it the most. <laughs> nice. Do you like it? You try it. No, I'm going to try it right now. Okay, okay. I thought you tried Wait, it already. No, I didn't try it already. All right, cool. I'm trying it right now, the strawberry margarita. Hold yeah, on. Oh, it's so good. But it's not as if I haven't had one before. What? Well, come I've up. been to your place. Yeah, but you had a different version, though. So this one in the pouches are like the more, the more simple kind of versions of the, of the classics. So the idea was for these drinks to be maybe just an introduction to what we do. That's why they're coming in the pouches. So they're a bit less expensive. And then we have the range of cocktails that we do ourselves that is more what we do which is what the kind of drinks that you normally had when you come at the, at the bar. And they come in, in in bottles with the nices and everything. Now, I think that is a great way to start, actually. <laughs> we didn't even know we were starting and we're already starting. But it is so nice to have you on the show. Thank you and very I, much. Because why I say that's a great place to start is that we're talking about putting cocktails in pouches and delivering because, of course, you started your bar during lockdown, mm -hmm. during this whole COVID thing. Yeah. And usually in my interviews, I start with your history and then we work towards the future. But it's like the future is, we don't even know what the future is anymore. We have no idea. You once said that life is full of moments, all right? It's made up of moments, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Life is made up of moments. Well, literally every single day is a different moment now. So <laughs> yes, how I thought it would be fun to start is if, well, I don't know if the right word is fun, but to start is really your first step to start a bar. And then we have the year 2020, which happens. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could tell me what it's been like day to day, as much as you can, about starting a new bar during this COVID time. Well, I would say, I mean, the main thing would be challenging, I guess, <laughs> but not necessarily in the, in, the bad, in the bad sense of it. I've always liked the challenge. I've always liked to put myself in situations that pushes me further to, to, to be better, you know, to be better at what I do and to be a better version of, you know, a better me, basically. And everything that happens right now with all the uncertainty obviously makes it very difficult financially for our team, for, for ourselves, for our community, it's, it's, it's extremely hard. It's a lot of, of stress for everyone. 
But on the other hand, it also pushes our creativity and, you know, it, it shows it really, it really, we have to be resourceful. You know, we have to find ideas. We have to find the will and the strength to, to lead our teams and in our community. And I think that's what I really like. That's, that, that probably is the, the time that I strive the most, I would say, which is probably why we're, we're doing so much, I guess. Well, well, get, going back a little bit, I remember the first time I happened upon you was when I was taking my walk, our one day allowed walk, mm -hmm. and there you were in my neighborhood, which is not a neighborhood really known for bars, right? South Kensington, England, London, you know, there's a dearth of bars, really. Then all of a sudden you were there and you've become my local and my go-to <laughs> this whole time without even knowing really how fabulous you all were mm -hmm. until I took the first sip, of course. Why don't we back up just a teeny bit to why you decided to be in South Kensington instead of Shoreditch or one of the other kind of, I'm using inverted commas here, you know, hipper places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the creative stuff is happening in drinks. You know, what made you choose this spot and then kind of the progression to COVID hitting and mm -hmm. how you were able to change how you work or think? Well, I would say, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, there's a fact that when we stumble upon the site where we are right now, where public is, that used to be the Petit Sud, we kind of fell in love with the whole with the whole place. You know, it was not too big, but not too small. There was a lot of potential being right next to Hyde Park in St. Kensington Gardens. The, you know, the little terrace, the fact that we had two different levels gave us a lot of ideas and we could see a lot of potential in, in the venue itself. We knew exactly what would be our philosophy and our ethos from the start. We were not quite sure exactly what we would be doing. Would it be more restaurant? Would it be more bar? Would it be more a wine bar? We didn't really have a plan. We, we knew that cocktails is our main thing. We knew we wanted to have food. But apart from that, we were quite open to any possibility. The idea at first was really to get to know our community, our neighborhood, and see what was what is it that they, they, they were craving for, and then try and you know, fill that gap a little, a little bit. The second thing is I've been living in London for about nine years now, and I spent most, I mean, about eight years in West London. And I've always been... I, don't, I never really understood why it kind of like all the cocktail things stopped at Notting Hill and wouldn't go any further. Well, there's so many great people out there. There's so many great pubs and little restaurants, but cocktail bars and bars in general were not happening around here. I mean, I remember back in the days when you had the Montgomery Place in Notting Hill, you had all the Lonsdale, you still have Trader Happiness, you know, you have all these great places, right? But nothing went any further than that. And that's, that's about what it was. And so when we, we found this place, we were like, well, why don't we try and be the center of our neighborhood, being what we do, you know, with our cocktails and our food and our, and, and our wine and everything, you know, the, the way we, we think about it, rather than just being lost in the middle of everybody else, be the spot in that particular neighborhood when there's a lot of people, we know it and there's nothing, there's no one like us around us, basically. Weren't you scared, though, that there's a reason why there's no one oh, <laughs> here? Maybe that the the people didn't want it or there had been? Tremendously, yeah it, was, yeah. it was not easy. At first, we were like, okay, what if no one likes what we do? What if, you know, we, 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 we really weren't sure. And that's, uh, I think one of the, that was maybe one of the good things of the first lockdown when we first opened is that 
we had this little period of time where we were doing the, the takeaway bar and we were literally in the street talking to people and basically introducing ourselves to them to you know let them understand that what we were doing were would be a bit different and and just have a little introduction basically to uh, to what we were we wanted to do and i think that was that was kind of a good thing but yeah it, it was scary it was scary at first because no one around us makes anything that we do so yeah, yeah and good. you know i have walked by the restaurant that it used to be mm -hmm. and gone oh yeah that looks cute i should try that one day uh, about a thousand times mm -hmm. and never have and obviously you had something and it worked to get people's attention because now every time i walk by the you know it's it's quite busy and people are are there and enjoying and i mm -hmm. and uh, you know it's so great that you were close to hyde park because i think during the lockdown when we could only be exercise one day a lot of people went to hyde park and of course as they're coming out of hyde park you're there with the strawberry margarita saying hey we're here <laughs> It, it, it really helped. I mean, the location is, is great for that. I mean, seeing everybody uh, going to the park, you know, the dog walkers, people going for exercising or just like meeting with friends is definitely a great thing for us. I mean, we, for the, during the second lockdown, we started doing coffee as well. So we're opening early in the morning at 8 a.m. And we can see a lot of people like stopping by because they want a coffee, they want a, a pastry. And then we do, we're also doing a takeaway food now. But we can see a lot more people coming back. So we already have our regulars. We started having regulars during the first lockdown with the takeaway bar that came back when we opened our doors. And now we have new regulars that are starting to come because of the of the coffee, because of the of the food, the takeaway food that we do. We started doing mulled wine as well. You know, all these things really being where we are really helps. But I think the most important thing more than that is the fact that we are here greeting people. You know, in this time that is very bleak and the takeaway and, and delivery services let's say it's not the most hospitable way of, of of getting food and drinks unfortunately we are still there in the front you know on our terrace outside greeting everyone talking to everyone like the way like if they were coming in and i think that's what makes a, a massive difference we could do any kind of drinks any kind of food at this point but because we're i think what we're selling is hospitality you know what we were so warm and so genuine when we see people i think that's what they they want to they actually stand and like oh okay yeah maybe i'll talk to you for a second yeah, you know, it's just as you said, it's the true definition of hospitality right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you you all have been out there every time I've walked by, you know, every time greeting mm -hmm. out the side with a smile or a smile under the mask. <laughs> got a mask. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I know now we're going to go back to you because it is mm -hmm. Lush Life. We've got to talk about you <laughs> and how you even came to South Ken because that is not a South Ken accent. Yes. And I know that you're from France. And um, I had joked before we started recording that I read something that this is much to the chagrin of your mother who wanted you to be a lawyer. <laughs> well, my mother still to this day says, aren't you jealous of your friends who went to law school? <laughs> so I totally understand. <laughs> hopefully, no, she doesn't say it anymore, but hopefully your mom has stopped saying that. They, and I'm lucky if they stopped, both my both my, my, my father and my, my mother are now, I don't think they totally grasp everything that I do. Actually, a couple of years ago, my father asked me like, but what is it that you do really? Because he, he could see me going around traveling and, and really having fun and doing all this stuff. And uh, now, now they, they, they don't bring it up anymore. I think they, they see that I'm really happy doing what we do. I know you grew up with a lot of food in your family, mm -hmm. not just because you're French, but um, you're, because you're also half Portuguese, mm -hmm. that 
you had a lot of cooking and your grandmother had a restaurant, grandparents had a restaurant and your family was always cooking. Do you think it's from that that you decided to start culinary school? Actually, I don't think it is. It's it, it just came back to me over the years. I was like, actually, I've always been surrounded by food and by great food and by people. But that's I think that's it's the people part that really got me hooked. When I started the first time, um, I was about 15, 16. I was uh, working with my uncle at the time. He was in charge of doing events in our area. And he asked me if I wanted to, to make a bit of money on the side during weekends. So I went to help him during a wedding. And I, we did weddings and receptions and birthday parties and that kind of stuff. And just the fact of being nice to people and having good time and, you know, seeing that they were having a great time because you were nice to them. I was like, this is kind of cool. I like this. You know, it's just like you can be very nice around other people and they will be nice back to you. And I was like, oh, I, I, I like this. I like this dynamic, you know. And I think it's the people part that, uh, that really got me into it. And, the fact and you, that, were ge- you were getting paid at the same time. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> that was great for a 16-year-old, you know, especially where, where I'm from. It's, it, it, was, it was a great thing. It was a great thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's so much more to it than hospitality. There is the cooking. You have to be pretty, you know, to be a success, be yeah. good at the cooking and, and the drink, or even want to do that part as opposed to just being a maitre d' or, you know, a greeter server. And when you got to culinary school, did you think immediately, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this is it? I knew I wanted to be a bartender before I got into the, the cooking school. Ah. So the culinary school was just, for me, a step to go and do this one-year specialization into bar and, and bartending. In order to enter that, that, that special course, you have to have some kind of degree or some kind of diploma in hospitality. And for me, the, the most natural way of doing that, because at the time I was, I was following gen, what we call general um, classes, basically. I had my baccalaureate, which is, uh, I think, the level A uh, here in the uh, in UK. I, I got mine in economic uh, and social sciences, basically. And after that, I went to do that university thing for a couple of, for three years, actually. There was one year where you basically do, you, you kind of, get up to speed with everything that other people would have done in the three, four years that you would be normally in college. But then you have two years of university when you learn more about chef skills and all the techniques, classic techniques from the start, why does it work, why does it kitchen, agency, a setup, management and all that kind of stuff. And basically, I, then I went to do a, a bartending school. But before I did that bartending school, I knew I wanted to be a bartender. Which is was it the liquid itself? Was what was it? The hospitality or was it? It's a little bit of both. It's a little bit uh-huh. of the, the people thing, but also the fact that you know when you're a teenager, you're starting you're starting to have drinks with your friends and everything. And I remember vividly this one day we were in the park uh, after a football practice with some of my friends, and we had we bought beers for us to enjoy, and there were two different brands, and had one beer. And then I had another beer from a different brand. And I was like, I remember vividly saying like, I don't understand. It's, it's, it's a beer. It's, it's exactly the same price, but it doesn't taste at all the same thing. And it just got me really curious. I like, why is that? I really want to know. And that's when I started to, when I started to actually like pay more attention about what I was drinking and what I was, uh, what I was eating. Heston Blumenthal had this one lunch in France that changed everything for him. 
You know, his parents took him when he was 15 to France. He ate something. That was it. So for you, it was these two beers. It, that is, yeah, it, which is a funny thing because, I mean, it didn't mean anything for, to anyone else. But I remember really looking at these two bottles and saying, like, why are they so different? I, w- I want to know. And then in France, we have this habit of putting things with, you know, um, bring syrups or pecan, for example, with our beer. And I was like, well, this is great, but why are we doing this? I mean, and then you start playing with flavors and that kind of stuff. I was doing, I was a 17, 18, we were doing parties with our friends and I would like just play with syrups and do some horrendous drinks at the time. But yeah, that's that's where, that's how I really started really. Mm-hmm. And I guess you couldn't wait to get back to that kind of experimental phase, yeah, you know, yeah. while you're studying. Mm-hmm. And so what was after university, kind of what was the first time that you were able to actually do that? Where you felt like, oh, I can, I can do that. I can start creating things. Well, I would say that would be when I arrived in Montreal. That was the first time I really had the chance to create drinks. Because before that, in France, whether it would be uh, in in a restaurant while working uh, as a commie, or even when I was a papa double, my job was to do to 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 recreate what others had created. So I was just um, an executioner. I was just here making drinks, bartending, and that was it. But when I arrived in, in Montreal, with the Club Kittutu, that was what it was at the time. We're talking about 10, 12, yeah, about 10, 11 years ago now. You know, it wasn't what it, where it is right now, but it, and it's still quite a bit behind what London is. But yeah, I had the chance to, to start making a few drinks after, I don't know, my third or fourth month arriving at the, at the lab. And then I got promoted to bar manager, and I was literally in charge of making the menu there. With the, with the owner and the team. And we were like, okay, now I really need to get that creativity going. I need to learn more. I need to exper- experiment more and I need to create How stuff. long was it between you're getting there, you're arriving in Montreal and you becoming bar manager? Six months, I think, about six That's quick. It was quick because I think I was I was really eager. I was really uh, eager. I knew I was when I when I left school when I when I did my my school and the diploma for the bartending course. I I finished up in my class. So I, re- I was really into it. I was reading everything every day. I was really really uh, really into it. I did competitions and I arrived in Montreal and no one has done anything like I did. And my experience at the Papa Doble with Julien Esco and David Nerambo at the time really gave me the the tools to, you know, to be able to be creative because they explain me exactly what it is. Just like some of the time, all you have to do is you take a great classic and you switch a little bit. And that's what I started with. Just switch maybe, you know, simple syrup for honey and add a liqueur instead of sugar or reduce, you know, just little tricks and, uh, and, and stuff like this. But it really worked for me. And there's also the fact that the bar manager at the time left very, about three months after I arrived, then uh, when I got promoted because I was very eager and, uh, and I really wanted to, to prove myself. And how was that first menu that you created? It wasn't easy. I remember it. It wasn't easy, but it was very much what we are doing here at Public at the time already. Because we, so we had a, a massive menu at the time because the owner used to, is uh, is bartender that used to, to train at places like Planet Hollywood and TGI Fridays and that kind of stuff, which... Obviously, it's a different style of bartending, but it's a very important style of bartending. It's how a lot of, you know, how our crafts really, you know, got recognized at the time. So we had this 75, 80 drinks menu, which was insane when I'm thinking about it now. It's crazy. 
But on top of that, we also had boards above the bar where we could have specials. And that's the very first time that I had a seasonal menu where we had this one board with one fruit and we basically changed every month and we would have these four drinks based on these fruits. And it was before totally different drinks, four different styles. And we had that. So I would actually be more in charge of all the, of the balls. I would change very often. And the owner would be more looking after the drinks. I would stay like for a year or, or six months. What made you then move on to the next thing? Because you, you were in Montreal for... I was there for about a year and a half. Yeah. About a year and a half. And well, the thing is my visa expired. Um, I'm a VX pilot and in the meantime I, w- I wanted to to learn more, to still learn more and I used to go to New York very often because it's about six, six, seven, maybe eight hours drive south from Montreal so I would go to New York City quite often and see all these great bars, everything that you know you, you read about in magazines and on websites and everything and I really wanted to see that so I went there very, very often to meet people and I really wanted to be a part of it so I wanted to push myself and Lab at the time was considered the best cocktail bar in the city of Montreal. So I was like, well, I need to see something else. I want to push myself on. I want to challenge myself a bit more. So I'm going to try and and go to New York. So when my visa expired, I tried to go to New York, found a place actually that would do a visa with me, but within the three. So, and then I went back to France waiting for the whole, the whole thing to happen. And unfortunately, when we started the whole process within two, two or three weeks after, the company got bought by a different a different company and everything got stopped, which was a bit of a blow. I, I took it a bit quite hard, but I was with a, a Canadian girl at the time. My girlfriend was Canadian at the time. So I went back to Montreal. We spoke for, for a bit and we decided that, well, if we can't do New York, let's just go to London. And we literally decided that beginning of June and on the 2nd of February, we were in London. Back to New York for a second, because that was the time, if you're saying about 10 years ago or so, mm-hmm. what, things were really happening. You know, it's 2010. Were there any cocktail bars that you just kept going to over and over again and thought, this is where I have, want to be? I think Pegu Club was the one. Pegu yeah. Club was my absolute, absolute favorite. I loved the vibe in there. The drinks were great. Kenta Goto was the head bartender at the time there. Kenta had opened his own place now. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away by his knowledge and by his hospitality, but more importantly, it's just like the, the whole atmosphere in it. It was classy, but also, you know, you could have a lot of fun, but you see that you had all these people, you, you had some people wearing t-shirts next to people having a nice suit. Drinks were phenomenal. Yeah, Paper Club was definitely one of those bars that I really, really got into. I went to PDT many times, went to Maya Well, went to... Death and Co. You know, I, I went to all of them. Employees only. I got really drunk at employees only. I have to say, <laughs> got really drunk. About that can happen. That can happen. Yeah. That happen. They are cocktail bars. So <laughs> when you knew that you were going to go to London, was it like, oh, we're going to London, or oh yeah, we're going yeah. to London? It's really one excited. of them. <laughs> really, really excited because well, I'm. I don't really dwell on on past failures. Like, okay, something happened doesn't work what's next what is it that we can do next to to do something and we were really excited because london is london and as much as i love new york uh new york city and its bars and its hospitality scene i really think that london has something else especially in terms of bars they have there's that extra stuff that makes it very very special 
Absolutely. Now, as in the same way that you had these wonderful bars in New York that you loved, did you feel that same way or did you know the bars in London were acquainted with them to feel I, that way and think this is where I want to work next? I actually knew less about bars in London, but there were definitely a few ones that I knew about. Obviously, the Connaught, I, I knew I wanted to go there. That was at a time where there was a lot of videos of Marianne Piquet from the Pearl and then at Niger. That's when pretty much when Niger opened as well. So I went there and I was like crazy looking at them working in all the garnishes and stuff. I went to Montgomery Place. Montgomery Place was literally 20 minutes walk from where I used to live. So I would go there every Sunday to have a beer, a burger and a, and a cocktail every Sunday. Where I, that's where I met Deborah at the time. I mean, I did, I did all of them. Like, I think my first year, year and a half in London, I went to every single bar I could think of and I went to every single training I could think of because I wanted to know everything. I wanted to meet everyone. I really wanted to be a part of it. And where did you hope or whom did you hope to work with? Did you have that in mind? Like I set just, your sights on one place? I, I just wanted to work with someone that would like push me and teach me more. And I, I know at the time I had Niger in mind because I was blown away by the by the videos that were that were done at the time. And I really wanted to try and do that. I mean, plus I used to do flair bartending at, in Montreal. So I was like, yes, I can do that again. That's gonna be cool. But in the meantime, I, I had a few contacts. I used to live in London, or oh, still living in London actually, that got me in touch with Cuesta. And I met her about two weeks after I arrived in London to work at Novikov. Yeah. which is to this day i'm still very glad i went to work there because i met so many wonderful people it was an incredible experience but it is not the style of bar i was expecting myself to be when i arrived in london when you started working at novikov was it giving you what you thought you would get from working at a place in london or how you wanted your career next step to be after getting from Canada? I, I think I, I hit this, this ceiling, this glass ceiling at some point where I was like, okay, I need to break it. I need to get away from here and do something different. As I said, I, I really enjoyed all my time there and the people that I, I worked with. And I really learned a lot, technically, especially behind about how to host a very busy station. But I wanted to do something different. I needed to do something different. And when I was starting to look for something, for another challenge, Monica Berger just got the, just started at uh, Pollen Street Social, which is a Michelin star restaurant here in London. And her assistant was a very good friend of mine, her assistant bar manager. And when I was looking for another job, basically we, we met a couple of times with Monica. So the first time I had my trial shift, Pollen Street Social, we barely spoke during the whole shift. And I was, I was quite intimidated because, you know, you've, you've, I've I'd watched all the videos about world class and, you know, you, it's Monica Bird, top eight in the world, blah, blah, blah. So it was quite, you know, intimidating. Plus my friend being like, she's amazing, she's amazing, was not helping one bit. But then we, we went for a chat after the trial shift and we really clicked on very, very, very quickly. And I didn't take the job at first because it was just like a, a decision that I, I took at the time. It was just not right for me to leave just then. But about three or four months after, I actually contacted her back and saying, look, actually, I'm, I'm ready to move. I am ready to move. And that's when I joined Policy Social with, with Monica. That was, that was kind of daring of you. Because 
she could have said, uh, no, sorry, Mr. Chance, bye-bye, you know? I could, I could have missed it altogether, and it would have been, yeah, it would have been totally different, but I had my reason at the time, and, uh-huh. and she totally, I think she really understood it, she understood it, and, and, and respected it, and when I got back, she told me years after that she was really happy that I, that I contacted her again, because okay. I, I could have gone somewhere else, but I, I like, no, I kind of want to go there. And when you started working there, it mm-hmm. being both Michelin star, a restaurant, bar, and under someone like Monica, did you think, oh, yeah, this is it. This is exactly what I want. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I spent three, more than three years at a, at a social company at Point Three Social, so I, would, I can't, this my longest experience in, in, a, in a place, so I would say, yeah. I, I, I love the attention to detail to everything we were doing, from the food to the coffee to the wine and obviously the cocktails. Uh, the cocktails were, were just incredible. They were simple yet very complex. And I was learning a lot about techniques and different ingredients I'd never heard about before, especially with Monica's Nordic upbringing. I learned a lot about some of these Nordic ingredients and and things that uh, that she would use in, in cocktails. But on top of, of the cocktail thing, one of the biggest thing I think she taught me is to try and, you know, the drink world is a very small world and there's a lot of inflation you can take from a lot of other industries and a lot of different aspects of our life. And uh, that's something that, uh, you know, I try to, to do a lot more. Yeah, I think to be good at, at anything, in particular, you have to know what's going on in the world around you. Absolutely. Uh, and you you went to a few Nordic places as well yourself. I did, yes. So after I left Poland's Social, I needed a bit of a break because I was working. I I worked myself to the ground when I was there, and I left. I was I was a bit lost. I didn't know if what I wanted to do, if I still wanted to do that job, because I, I I really 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 was tired. And uh, I think I'm. I was very close to a burn down, to be fairly honest with you. Would you, oh gosh, I'm, I'm interjecting here before we go on. Was there anything else that you were thinking of doing? I had no idea. I really had no idea. I've, I've always liked like writing. I've always liked music. I've always, so I didn't know. I didn't know really. Okay. I, just, I was just playing with the thought of maybe I could do something else because, you know, I'm, I'm getting tired and I feel like I have no creativity whatsoever at the moment. Is this where your mom chimed in uh, law school? <laughs> no, okay. no, 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 I, I, didn't, I didn't share much of that with my parents. I was, I needed uh, to. It, it was a very personal kind I'm of, kind of process. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah. So I took a bit of time off. Actually, I went back for a few for a few months to a social company to help them in other bars in the company because I knew the company very very well. So they knew I could help. And then I asked Monica one day, like, because we had also a friend that used to work at Hinkook in in Oslo. Oslo, yeah. And I asked Monica, like, because Monica used to uh, used to be a part of the project. So I like, do you mind if I come and just like come and basically learn what you guys do for about a month or so? And she's like, absolutely, no worries. Let me let me put you in touch with the guys there, and uh, you go there. So I went there for a, a month and a half, and I think like going back to a different environment where the drinks were very different, where I learned a lot as well got me going again it really helped me it really helped me what did you find that was different there than what would say they would be doing in a bar in london well first of all you know in london when you when you're at the bar a bartender will come to you the moment you are about like one third of your drink or a quarter they will come to you like would you like another one there would people would look at you like i'm not done dude what do you want they wouldn't say that, but they would literally look at you like, what's wrong with you? I am clearly not done with my drink. 
leave me alone. So this, you know, this this fact of like taking your time, a bit mm -hmm. more about the drinks that I really enjoyed. The whole creativity as well. Obviously, I, I learned a lot about ingredients. Him cook had, has its own distillery on site as well. So we learned how to distill the gin, the gin that they make for themselves, as well as the vodka and especially the Akamit, which is delicious. They have a cider bar. So I learned a lot about ciders as well. And they have the tap tails, the cocktails on draft, which was fascinating because I thought it was, you know, everybody would years ago would basically bash it and say, oh, well, it's impossible. We can't do it. Well, now everybody wants to do it. And I think it's a great, great way of service because you had basically three people behind the bar to serve 100, 150 persons. That's incredible to serve world-class winning cocktails, very delicious things, fresh as well. And I thought that was great, you know? And all this together, the, the change of scenery as well, and, and all this being in a different country kind of, yeah, I don't know. I think that's all this all together that really, uh, really helped me out. And when you came back, that's when you went to Scarf's. Were you able to bring those things that you loved and learned from living in a Nordic place to London? I think Again? I did. Yes, I think I did a little bit. There's a few ingredients that I that I, that I brought back, things that I've discovered through Monica, and, and that then I, I get I got to play with more when I was in in, in Oslo. Things like different Akvit, we would have as well lingonberries. We would do a shrub with it. I thought it was absolutely delicious. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's quite a few things. I I think as within the first few months of, of being a scout, they used to have uh, beers on draft, right? And the mission I was given very early on when I joined Scout was to basically make scarves, you know, alongside Martin, Siska and the team to get Scarf to be a renowned cocktail bar, or at least known for its cocktails. And I thought, I, I mean, from the start, I said, like, these needs to go. These needs to go. We, you shouldn't see any draft behind the bar, but let's keep the system and down the line have a cocktail on draft. Because right. I was like, this is, you know, imagine if we are the first five-star hotel in the world to have whatever cocktails it would be on draft. That'd be pretty, that'd be pretty cool. It'd be pretty cool. And I know you won the Patron Perfectionist mm -hmm. competition then. Had you been competing all along? I I did a lot of competition in my year that I was doing my bartending course. That was part of the of the whole the whole year school. You had the, our teacher at the time was really into that, and uh, that's part of the thing. So I did about three, did very well, and then I kind of stopped. Montreal didn't have any. Also, I did one just before leaving, just before leaving Montreal, and then arrived in London. I, I did about I think like two or three here and there, but I. I was like doing one and then I was I would stop because I was like nah and then I don't think I did one for about two or three years and that's when I entered Patron and it's quite funny because Karin Tia which is the, the brand ambassador for Patron here in the UK is a very good friend and she was like come on come on you need to come on you need to sign up please do it please do it and I was like yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure I think I sent the recipe five minutes to midnight before the deadline and and yeah and I, I guess I had a good idea and, and it worked out. I know. And then you ended up winning, yeah. which was also brought a lot of attention mm -hmm. to the bar. And of course, Scarfs became one of the great 
bars in London and is still one of the great bars Absolutely. in London, hotel bars in London. But Absolutely. They just won the Tales uh, Best Hotel Bar in the World this year. So congratulations yeah. to them. They're doing a great job. Yes, they're doing super well. And you would think that you would be at the top of the world there and you're kind of your own little king in your empire. But then you decided to go back to working with Monica again yeah. at Tyrone Elementary. Yes, I did. Was that a difficult decision to make? No, no, it wasn't. For many reasons, the main one would be because I I trust Monica and Alex. I trust I trust them as I know that what they're doing is is something different and absolutely, you know, boundary pushing. I don't know, you know, they 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 always trying to to break limits and 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 change things for our industry and and that's something I really respect and I and and I envy somehow. I'm really looking, you know, their, their inspirations and they and they've been for years. So that was that was that was not much of a no-brainer. I know they've been working on the bars for for years, and we've always been in touch with Monica. So that was all, uh, always something. It's like it's, and there's also the fact that, to be really honest with you, working in in big uh, companies is is not something that I'm really comfortable with. I'm very much a we have an idea, we need to be able to implement it within five minutes, see if it works, and if mm-hmm. it doesn't, we stop. The whole. You know, all the all. It's corporate. Yeah, it's a corporate, corporate, corporate situation. Yeah, where you a lot of people are making decisions. Yeah, exactly. And that was that was a bit difficult for me. So this all together plus the timing was like, well, you know what? Let's do it. Well, I think you're being a little modest <laughs> because you are also a groundbreaker, and you. I, no, I'm. 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 I believe that because you've come into a place. You have your own place now. Mm-hmm. Not only have you entered an area of London that didn't have any, you know, yes, there are a few bars, there's Barts, you know, there are a few very these famous bars around, but you know, Chelsea South Ken didn't, doesn't, there's a Clue Calais now, you know, but in previous years, there wasn't anything. And you have taken that chance. You've also had an added burden of this whole global pandemic on top of you and have created a wonderful place for all of us. So I think you're being a little modest there. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> and you're make what you're groundbreaking, mm-hmm. should I say? You're breaking ground in your own way. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit more about public. Yes, sure. Now that you are the boss and you get to make the decisions again, how do you even know where to start with with a menu? Well, so first of all, I I opened public with my business partner Charles Montanaro. Uh, very good friend of mine that I met years ago, funnily enough, on the trip to Barbados with uh, Mount Gay Rum. So thank you very much for that, guys. That was a great trip. But on top of that, we got to meet each other. And so the, the way the way everything works here in, in public is we have Charles and myself, but we also have our head chef, Emilian, and my assistant, uh, Sebastian, that are very much an integral part of everything that we do in, in decision making. We were always like running through the team as well. But... The four of us at the moment are, are very much looking after that. For the menu, it's very simple. What we do is all about seasonality and the provenance and the quality of the product that we use. So we are basically using whatever we can get our hands on that we deem interesting in terms of flavor, in terms of quality and, and, and the people that, were, that are behind it, but also if it has a, a positive impact on, on our society, on our community. So we are using this very famous supplier at the moment called Natura. Natura is something you can actually, even you now can order from them. And they have this 
loads of different farmers around uh, the UK, but also in Europe, that have these specific products right on time on the season that are grown organically in an absolutely beautiful way. And the product itself is just delicious. So to make cocktails out of this is pretty, pretty simple. That's, that, that's, that's the way we think. We have this 10 to 12 cocktail menu where uh, we know the style of drinks that we want. And then we have these flavors coming from these incredible products. And we then decide, okay, how do we think this particular flavor will shine the most? Where do we think this should go? And that's how we play it. And then we have also a few boards with specials where we actually go like crazy bananas on something. We're just like, okay, if we think that this is how it should be, then that's how it should be. And we don't really care about the style of drink, but that's, that's very much how we work. And how come you decided to have food as well in the restaurant in the bar because i love food they say you can take the boy out of paris exactly. but you can't exactly. where you take the boy out of france you can't take france out of paris. exactly no but it's also the fact it's uh, it's also a financial and economical decision i mean as much as i love going to cocktail bars and to bars in general I always thought that if you didn't have food, it'd be extremely difficult for you to survive. No matter what's thrown at you. I'm not even talking about COVID and, and the lockdowns and everything. I'm just talking about in general. If you want people to stay a bit longer with you, well, if you have a bit of food, it'll make a difference. And as I said, I love food. I just love, I love having chefs around because when they are, when they are easy to deal with, obviously, but because they're not always easy, we know that, but Emilian is, is, is a sweetheart. It's, it's, really, it's really great. And we can, we can have great discussions about flavors and how to use certain ingredients. We learn from each other. And I think that's, that's great for everyone, really. And yeah, I think having food is just is an important and integral part of what we do. So it's kind of like what you were just to go back, go back in time, what you were doing in Canada, mm -hmm. but to a different level. You have that board. It's all seasonal but it may not be every month that you change them. It's every season yeah. instead. It must be really exciting because there's so much good produce just even locally when we call the bees, the Bermondsey honey, exactly. and, you know, everything is, is, is right here in London. We can get it so easily. So farm to table is just we have the something that you expect. Yeah. We have the chance here in London to get our hands on a lot of different products, but not only from around here, but from also different cultures in different countries. I've never heard, I've never learned so much about other countries and other cultures than through food and drinks. Every time I go somewhere new, the first thing I will do is I will find the local market and I will try everything I can that I've never seen or heard of before. And I think that's the, the, the great thing. One of our team um, member, Vinny, is from, is from Indian descent, for example. I know very little, if anything at all, about Indian food and that kind of stuff. And we are on a mission. I asked him, like, can you please teach me? So he, he keeps on bringing back like ingredients and food from home. And we try all this stuff. And it's incredible because it's, it's really super fun. And, you know, with, with all these ingredients that we can get around here, you know, as you said, Bermondsey uh, Street Honey, all the local beers are incredible as well. You have some in amazing farms just south of London. One of my favorites being Melillo in uh, just south of London. You also have, I can't remember the name of that. There's another one in the, in Cornwall that are absolutely, this is where you got your strawberries actually in your drink right now. They're absolutely incredible. 
you know, they do these amazing products and just like to make, it's very easy to make them shine in the drink because they are so good in the first place. All we're doing is we're just mixing them together and we're just here. We're just, we are kind of the platform for these farmers and these producers, really. Well, sipping this strawberry margarita, I can tell you, you do a little bit more than just mix it together. <laughs> this has been so amazing. It is so wonderful to know that there's a local, there, that you have a local, that there, you know, you have friends at some place that you can go and visit. Absolutely. And I thank you so much for moving into the neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I don't think I would have survived the lockdown without you. <laughs> thank you. So thank you so much, Greg, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. It's My been pleasure. amazing to hear about all this. Absolute pleasure. And see you at the bar. You know I couldn't leave Greg without asking for his top tips for the home bartender and where he would have a drink right now if he could choose anywhere in the world. I think the rule of thumb that I always use is don't get stingy on the ingredients. Get good ingredients to get good cocktails. So I know that a bottle of gin can range from 12, 15 pounds to 25, even up to 50 pounds, you don't have to go for that 50 pound uh, bottle, but go for a decent gin like Bifita, Bombay Sapphire, Sip Smith is the one that we use here uh, at the bar, or tequila or anything like any spirits that you use, please use something that's very good. And same thing with any fruits that you're using. Go for fresh, fresh lemons, fresh limes, fresh orange, whatever you're using, always fresh. The spice is the same. Go to your local uh, spice market or to your local spice uh, spice shop and just buy them. Try and if you can, if you have a grinder at home, grind them fresh because you'll see that the difference is immense. It's 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 a massive difference. And yeah, that's that's I think it's just about use great ingredients. That's the that's the one thing you have to. Everything else you can get away with it, but this you can't. Fabulous and. If you could be anywhere in the world drinking right now, other than public, where would that be? Where would I go if I was to drink right now, anywhere in the world? I would go back to Mexico. I'll go back to Mexico. Yeah, I would literally go back to Mexico. And I have a friend that's, that owns a bar, a restaurant in Holbox. And I think I would just go there, have some amazing ceviche and have a great margarita. All right. How can I thank Greg for not only being on my show, but also opening public right up the street from me? He and his team have kept me sane throughout this whole crazy year. One of my favorites on his menu is our cocktail of the week. I began the episode with it and I will end with it. The Publix Very Strawberry Margarita. And for all of you who live in Cornwall, the strawberries come from Olo's Farm. First, you need to make a strawberry cordial. The simplest way is to add 300 grams of strawberries, 150 grams of sugar, the juice of one lemon, and 200 mils of water to a pot. Bring it to a boil, and then take it off the heat and then leave for an hour. Mash the strawberries into a pulp and then strain, pushing as much as the pulp through the sieve as you can. That's your strawberry cordial done. And you can store this for ages in the fridge. Now to the cocktail. Add all of the following to a shaker. 20 mils of that strawberry cordial, 40 mils of acho tequila, 10 mils of fino sherry, 
5 ml of Martini Fiero and 5 ml of lime juice. Add ice and then shake, shake, shake. Then strain into either a coupe glass or serve it on ice. You'll find this recipe, plus more tequila recipes and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. The opening of public has made me realize the importance of a local, be it bar or restaurant. They make us feel that our lives hadn't stopped short and were almost normal. Cheers to the local in your life, and don't forget they need our support. So if you live for Lush Life, make sure you're giving back to the bars or restaurants you love by donating or eating out or taking part in cocktail or food delivery where you live. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly and wash your hands and wear a mask. Next week, we'll meet my friends who have launched the newest cocktail magazine in town, Tonic. Until that time, bottoms up.